Thank you, man, for that. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to 2 Kings. And we're in the last week of our series here called Good Kings. On this last Sunday of the month, we're covering uh, one of the more famous kings of Judah, a man named Hezekiah. And uh, to get into just a smidgen of Bible history here, as the northern ten tribes were being carried away into Assyria uh, in captivity there in the north, Hezekiah led Judah through a period of renewal and revival. And uh, we see his story as it begins here. Second Kings chapter 18, our reading is the first seven verses. And if you're physically able, would you stand this morning as we read there. Second Kings 18. And verse number one, now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for Hezekiah's testimony. Thank you for your word this morning that we can preach and be instructed by. And I pray that in these short minutes this morning that you would help us to focus on what you would have for each of us in our lives in our hearts, in our families. I pray that you would guide us now. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. And boy, I sure do love to study Hezekiah. And quite a guy if you uh, study even uh, some of the things that he did, not in a spiritual way, but in a kingly way. He made aqueducts that went into Jerusalem. And uh, he did some significant architectural things during his kingdom as well. But we're uh, looking more along the lines of his faith today. In our uh, life group series, we've been looking at the messes that these good kings had in their lives because even good people have some messes. But in this part of the series, in the morning service, we're looking at the faith that was involved. Now, if you want to really see some messes, our next life group series that starts uh, next Sunday morning, 9.45, 10 o'clock, depending on which group you're in. Uh, it's called Bad Kings, all right? And so this, uh, if you thought that these guys, these good guys had messes, wait till you get to the Bad Kings. And so just a little sales job for life group starting next Sunday as we go into July. But Hezekiah, we're going to see his life in four parts this morning. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. And let's begin by saying, from verse number 6 there, that he clave to the Lord. And if you see this description in verse 5 again, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. 
And his faith was so great that here's what God says about him. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. That's quite a testimony. There's nobody like him before him or after him, for he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him. Travel with me over, if you would, to 2 Chronicles. So that's to your right in your Bible. Uh, just, just past 2 Kings is 1 Chronicles, and then the next book is 2 Chronicles, and uh, chapter 29. And I want you to see and get a little more context here on Hezekiah's resolve to cling to the Lord. So 2 Chronicles chapter 29. And it goes through the generic things, who his mother was and, and how old he was and those things. But look at verse number 3. It says, He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify now the house of the Lord God of our fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs also, they've shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps that have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. And so we see here, as we get some context, that the opening act, the very first thing that Hezekiah did in his reign, was to open the doors of the temple and to do some much-needed repairs. And you notice he started this first month, first year of his reign. And from that point on, he never let go of his desire to follow God. That's what it means to cleave to the Lord. Now, that word cleave is an interesting word in Scripture. I love the story of one of David's mighty men. And he's a fellow named Eliezer, the son of Dodo. Right, that's why it kind of stands out. I always remember the guy, Eliezer, the son of Dodo. And he's one of David's mighty men. Because when he was a kid, everybody picked on him. Your dad's a dodo. Your dad's a dodo. So he became a mighty man. I don't know how that was. You just don't forget the name. But Eliezer got in a fight uh, with the Philistines. And the Bible says, in David's description, that he fought so valiantly and so strenuously that his hand got stuck on the sword. And they had to take him and pry his fingers off of the sword, right? Talk about, you know, what is it, the carpal tunnel thing? That's some serious carpal tunnels, right? His hand is stuck on the sword. And it, it just always reminds me of, of this idea of cleaving, that Hezekiah had this attitude toward God. And he said, God, you aren't getting away from me. I'm not going to let go of you. And he never let go of his desire to follow God. So he got the temple cleaned up and cleaned out. And they started doing the daily sacrifices again from the law of Moses, as, as the law required. And they reopened the, the temple for worship. And they kept the Passover for the first time in many years. And if you read through these chapters here in Second Chronicles, it is amazing everything that took place. And they had not had a celebration like this in Judah since the time of Solomon. 
So for 300 years, they had never celebrated this way in the kingdom of Judah. And God began to bring a, re a revival into their midst. And as you study this and you begin to think, well, why? Why was it at this time that God brought a revival into Judah? And it was because one person said, I'm not letting go of God. One person said, I'm not going to let go of God's truth. And I'm going to take God's truth seriously and I'm actually going to live by it. And I'm not going to treat the way I follow God as just some religion that I do once a week. Instead, I'm going to have a relationship with God and I'm going to stick with him. More than ever, in these perilous times of the last days, we need men and women and teens who will resolve to hold on tightly to God and his truth and let nothing separate them from his words. You know, several years later, the prophet Isaiah, who lived during Hezekiah's reign, incidentally, the prophet Isaiah described a time when truth had fallen in the streets. That's how he described it. He said it is a day when truth has fallen in the streets, when judgment has been turned backward. And to think about this day, the temple was filled with junk. The priests had given up. They quit lighting the lamps in the courtyard. The doors to the temple were closed. But Hezekiah rose up and said, God still has a plan for his people. And I'm here to tell you this morning that even though truth has fallen in the streets in America, even though judgment has turned upside down, we still need to light the lamps. And we need to hold the truth high. And we need to cleave to the Lord. And we need to cleave to eternal values and not fall prey to the humanistic emptiness of this earth. The world constantly is trying to sell us on the fact that this earth is worth living for. That what we have here is all we're going to get. But sometimes we buy into it. I'm telling you how many hours a week there are. 24 times 7. What is that? 168? Something like that. Is that right? We have that many hours in a week, right? And we come to church maybe one hour a week or two hours a week, and we come to try to wash ourselves off from all of the things that the world is trying to sell us. And it is hard to cleave to the Lord when we only spend time with him in this room. We have to spend time with God on our own. The largest evangelical church in America about eight years ago, church in Chicago, they're not the largest anymore, but they were the largest back then. And they did a study, and it cost a million dollars for them to do the study. That's a pretty big budget, right? A million dollars just to do a study. And as, what I always said is they could have given us the million dollars to do stuff around here, and we could have told them the answers. They did a study, and what they were trying to figure out is why is it that people who come to church and get involved, and they even go to a life group, and maybe they uh, get involved in some activities, and they come to at least one service a week, and why is it that they aren't growing in their faith? <coughs> Here's what they found out. Big, huge study, million dollars. Here's what they found out. They said 
we discovered that they needed to pray and read their Bible at home. We say it all the time, don't we? But you know what the number one thing is that Christians struggle with? To pray and read their Bible at home. Number one thing. And we could preach it every Sunday. You know, only 4% of active Christians give a tithe to their local church. 4%. And I would venture to say that it's about 4% who have daily devotions where they read the Bible and pray every day and walk with God. It's, it's such an incredibly low number. And, you know, if we would just get a sense of what Hezekiah did where he said, God, I'm not letting go of you. I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to cleave to you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I would encourage you sometime when you can to read this passage in Second Chronicles in 29 and 30 and see the revival that began to take place. Because Hezekiah, as he stepped up, the people began to follow him. And they began to celebrate who God was and what he was doing. And we have a lot of negative things going on in our country. But, well, we still serve the great God. And we've got to be careful that we don't buy into this negativity. You read the book of Acts and you study uh, some of the, the times during the Middle Ages. And I'm telling you, Christianity has thrived as a minority much more than it has as a majority. And we need some people who are going to cleave to God no matter the circumstances. And that's what Hezekiah did. But then I want you to see another thing that takes place here. And this is the second part. It's kind of a change of direction. He covered himself in sackcloth. It's the second part of the message. So right during this time of revival, idols are being destroyed. People are committing themselves to follow the Lord and Lo and behold, the king of Assyria showed up. And he showed up with an army. And Hezekiah initially refused to, to be a pawn to Sennacherib. And Sennacherib uh, began to pester the cities of Judah. And they began to close up the fountains, uh, the Jews did, so that the Assyrians wouldn't have any water. And uh, they repaired broken parts of the wall and made it stronger. And, and they made darts and shields and they got a battle plan ready. And then after the Assyrians had been there for quite a while, Hezekiah tried to pay him to go away. He even went into the temple and they took the gold strips out of the temple and the silver out of the temple. And they gave it to the king of Assyria and said, would you just go away? And we studied a life group this morning how that never works with evil. You can't pay evil off, right? You can't bargain with evil. You have to stand your ground for God. And so Hezekiah had to turn to the only one strong enough to defeat the massive army of invaders. And I want you to check it out. It's 2 Chronicles 32. So we're going forward a few chapters. And as I said, you could read this on your own because it's fascinating history. 2 Chronicles 32. Look what he says to the people. Verse number 7. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed. For the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. 
With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Now I want you to go back to our original passage in 2 Kings 18. So back to your left. And let's see what happens next. Because they were going to stand strong and they're going to follow God. And with them is an arm of flesh and with us is the Lord our God. And we're going to fight them and it's going to all work out. So back in 2 Kings 18. I want you to check what happens here. Verse number 17. And the king of Assyria sent Tardan and Rabsaris and Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway of the fuller's field. And here come these guys from Assyria, and they stood right in the middle of the city, and they began to speak in the Hebrew language and insult the king and insult the God of heaven and say, we're going to take you out, and we're going to wipe out every male in your midst. And you can read through it and see all the insults that they gave. And so Hezekiah now, here's the words. And look at verse 37, 2 Kings 18. Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah with their clothes rent, and told him the words of Rabshakeh. And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. When Hezekiah was overwhelmed, when Hezekiah was in trouble, when he didn't have anywhere else to turn, he turned to God. And he turned to God in repentance. You know who repentance always begins with? With me. Repentance always begins with me. And if you're in a home that's dysfunctional, you know where repentance begins? It begins with me. If, if you're in a church that's struggling, uh, repentance always begins with me. And uh, in, in any situation, sometimes we like to look at, at boy, if, if old so-and-so would just repent, we could have revival at this place. Right? Isn't that how it goes? I tell you what, if, uh, if Don Ayers would just repent, if all that golfing that he's doing, um, I was just teasing Don. He lives by the golf course. And, and how old are you, Don? Nine, oh, he's nine, oh years old, and he's still out there golfing all the time. Isn't that great? Um, but, you know, what? we get this mindset, if this guy would repent, then we could see revival come. You know what Hezekiah said? I got to be the first one to wear sackcloth. I got to be the first one to tear my clothes. I got to be the first one up to the temple of God to pray for renewal and revival because there's an enemy, and the enemy has surrounded us. And so Hezekiah repented. And look what happened. He said, uh, verse number three, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are come to birth, but there is no strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, and it goes on to say, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. 
And so Hezekiah is going to repent. He's going to spend some time with God. He's going to go into the temple. He's going to call on the prophet Isaiah. And uh, he begins to find that repentance is going to work. And uh, as we follow it through, Isaiah answers. Look, verse number 6. And I just love to read through this passage. It's so great. Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And so Rabshakeh, the messenger, comes back, and he wants to know the answer. And Hezekiah said, uh, we're not yielding. We're not going to do anything that the king of Assyria says. And we get down to verse number 14. Because they got a letter now. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And I like what he did. Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah took the letter, the threat, and he brought it into the house of the Lord. And he went before the altar of God and he spread the letter out. It was probably on a scroll. And he began to pray and he said, God... You're the only one who can do anything about this. And it, here he is covered in sackcloth. He's torn his clothes. He's humbled himself before God. And now God can work. And I wanted to show you this third part because this is his mindset. And this is where it's so important for us to understand Hezekiah's faith. And it, here's the third part of the message. His cause was God's cause. His cause was God's cause. So he spreads the letter out, and here's what he says, verse 15. O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made the heaven and the earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. I love verse 19. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand. And I underline the last part of the verse because here's where Hezekiah's cause was God's cause. Look what he says. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. And Hezekiah proved a wonderful principle of God's word to be absolutely true and available for all of us. Here's what it is. When our intentions align with God's purposes and we're willing for God to receive all the glory, we're more than conquerors through him. It's such a fascinating thing as Hezekiah spreads this out. And he says, God, we can't do it, but you can. And would you do it so that all the people of the earth can know who you are? I think Ronald Reagan said it's amazing how much can be accomplished when we don't worry about who gets the credit. Right? 
As a Christian, I think you have to go even a little bit further with that. You have to say this. It's amazing how much can be accomplished if we're willing for God to receive all the glory. Because when we spread our lives out before God and we spread our circumstances out before God and we spread our trials and our sicknesses and our failures and we put it all before God and we say, God, you're the only one who can do it. Would you show everybody that you're my God? Would you show all the people of the earth how great you are? Not because of me, but to show who you are. And when we have that mindset and that mentality, God works. And you see so many times in Scripture, you read about the heroes of the faith who spread their lives before God and said, God, do this so everybody can know who you are. It happened with Gideon. It happened with David as he stood before Goliath with a sling and a stone. And he said, you come to me with a sword and shield, but I've come to you in the name of the Lord. And he said, I'm going to take you out today. That's reading between the lines. Because God is on the throne and everybody's going to know who my God is. And we want everybody to know who our God is. His cause was God's cause. I don't know if you've ever read the end of this story, but it's fascinating. And it gets gooder and gooder as you go. So you keep working down through this chapter. Sennacherib shows back up and he said, okay, you didn't listen. I'm taking you out. You guys are done. And uh, he has got this message that he's got for God, and then God fires a message back to old Sennach. Look at uh, 2 Kings 19. You look what he says to Sennacherib in verse 27. But I know thy abode, and thy going out, and thy coming in, and thy rage against me. God said to Sennacherib, I know where you live. I know every time you move. I know every time you breathe. I know every place you go. You can't escape from me. And I know the rage that's hidden in your heart. There are some people who hate God. And they do everything that they can to hurt the name of God. And they do everything that they can to demean the name of God. And then they say things like, I don't really believe in God. I just don't think there is a God. But deep inside, it's a lot more than that. It's a rage against God. Because when they were a kid, something bad happened to them. Or when they were a kid, their aunt or their uncle died from cancer and they've never forgiven God. Or when they were a kid, their mom or their dad abused them and they blamed it on God. And I'm here to tell you that there are a huge majority of people who will spend all eternity in hell because they're angry at God. And so God says to Sennacherib, I see it. I see where you live. I know when you leave. I know when you come back. I see your rage. Verse 28. Because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up into mine ears. So God said, I hear everything you say. I hear the thoughts of your heart. Now look what God told him. Therefore, I will put my hook in thy nose. Now this is God doing a nose piercing. Right? This is God doing the work right here. I will put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips and I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. 
He said, Sennacherib, let me tell you how many Jews you're going to kill on this trip. That'd be none. Because I know who you are, and I know where you live, and I know what you say, and I know what you think, and you can't beat me. I'm God. Now, it gets, I promise you it's going to get gooder because it keeps going. Look at this. By the way, I do know proper English. I just sometimes get excited here during a message. He tells the Jews some things in verse 29 of 30 and 31. Verse 32. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Look at how detailed this is that God gives this promise. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. That's a great promise. God gives this promise because Hezekiah's cause was God's cause. Now, the, one of the great verses, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, verse number 35. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Now, isn't that ironic? Now, you just got to see the irony in this. When they woke up in the morning, they were dead. <laughs> just think it through. This is, it may take some of you. Some of you get home this afternoon and you're like, Oh, I get it now, right? When they woke up in the morning, 185,000 of their army were dead. God's a pretty big God. And you think about this, right? Here comes this king. He's wiped everybody out. He's going to wipe you out. He doesn't care what you say. He doesn't care who your God is. And the God of heaven said, Sennacherib, you messed with the wrong God because I'm the one true God. And I know everything about you, and I know the rage of your heart, and the angel of death is coming down in your camp, and 185,000 of your men are going to wake up dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adrimelech and Cherezer, his sons, smote him with the sword. So he trained some nice kids, too. His boys killed him in the temple of his false god. God kept his word about Sennacherib. Let's get back to Hezekiah, and I want you to see this last part of the message because it's so profound what happens next. His character was rewarded by God. That's the last part of our message on Hezekiah. His character was rewarded by God. Now, after this great victory and Sennacherib goes home and God kept his word and everything was good, and then there was some bad news for the king. Chapter 20. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die. 
and not live. That's some bad news. And Hezekiah had everything going, just had a great victory, and now God sends this message through Isaiah and says, okay, you're going to die. Hezekiah, this is it. And you know, most people would have turned to the wall and said, oh, I guess if this is the way it's going to go, this is the way it's going to go. And uh, if God has sent me his time, then it's his time. And God knows everything about this. And boy, it's, he, he could have done that. But look what he did instead at verse number two. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out in the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. This is remarkable. As Hezekiah faced the sobering news about his own impending death, he was able to call on the Lord with an authentic heart and say, God, remember how I've walked with you. Remember how I've lived before you. And he asked God to intervene. Now, why could he do this? Because Hezekiah had credibility with the Most High. Hezekiah had credibility with God. He wasn't one of those people that only talked to God when it was the worst of the worst. He had walked with God consistently, never letting go. And now God blessed Hezekiah with an additional 15 years of life. Now, obviously, this isn't how it works for everybody. None of us know the day or the hour when we'll pass from this earth into eternity. I like what the old Southern Baptist preacher R.G. Lee used to say. He said, if I knowed where I was going to die, I just wouldn't go there. I always thought that was pretty good. But we don't. Only God knows that. And when we pursue God and we refuse to let go, we go to him in earnest prayer. And we go to his word and we see his promises that the fervent prayers of a righteous man mean something to God. And we're told that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And folks, God still hears and answers prayer. It is hard, though, to walk up to God and ask him to do something for you when you have no relationship with him. It's like going into your neighborhood and walking up to a door of somebody else's dad and asking him for the car keys. Right? Hey, hey, Dad, can I borrow the car? Who are you? Oh, I'm, I'm Jimmy. I play with Bobby, your son. It's not going to work, is it? I barely let my own kids use the car. Why would I let somebody else's kids? And when we go to God acting as one of his children, he wants to please us. As long as it agrees with his will, he wants to answer prayer. God 
true. Jesus said, Jesus said on the earth, he said, if, a, if one of your kids asks for a fish, are you going to give him a stone? Right? If one of your kids asks for something, are you going to try to trick him? Now, some of you devious parents out there might try to do this. But he said, your father in heaven, he wants to please his children. Your father in heaven wants to answer his children. And God wanted to answer Hezekiah. Just waiting for him to ask. And as soon as Hezekiah heard this news, and he turned his face to the wall, and he said, God, look at my testimony. Look at how I've lived. Look at the perfect heart I've had for you. And he wept, and he began to cry. And before Isaiah even made it out of the house, God tapped Isaiah on the shoulder and said, go back in and tell him he's going to be able to go back to the temple in three days, and I'm going to give him 15 more years. Now, if you keep reading, you find out that Hezekiah said, how will I know that I get to go back to the house of the Lord? Right? How do I know you're telling me the truth that in three days this is really going to happen? And Isaiah said, well, I'll give you a choice. Do you want the sundial to move forward 10 degrees or backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah said, well, if I move forward, that'd be nothing. Move it back. God took time back 10 degrees. You say, well, what is 10 degrees on a sundial? I have no earthly idea. But I'm sure that somebody in here does. Okay, I don't know. Maybe it's like 40 minutes. I don't know, or 20 minutes. Um, but God even gave him a sign. You're going to get to go back to the temple and serve me. Hezekiah exhibited some great faith. You know, we can learn a lot from Hezekiah on how to live our lives. As we go into our next couple of weeks here at church, I, I want you to really be considering these kings that we've studied. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about some important issues in July that I hope you'll, uh, you'll be here for. And uh, we've got camp coming up and a lot of things in July as well. And yeah, let's walk with God, not just at church, not just on Sunday, but on our own. If you walk with God every day, you're going to have a lot more credibility to talk to God when you have a need. And uh, when things get rough in your life, you don't want God to be a stranger. You want to have that relationship with him. And so I, I pray that that's what's going on in your life. Let's dismiss in a closing prayer this morning. And uh, don't forget about the men's Bible study and barbecue tonight. Father, thank you.